Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want to talk to you this morning about faith over fear, faith over fear from Matthew chapter 14. You know, um, it's interesting to me that fear affects people in funny ways, doesn't it? Have have you ever thought about this for your own life and how you're affected by fear? Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations from my own life. Um, But but as many of you know, I, I spent some time in Montana this summer. And one of my goals while I was there was to do some hiking. Uh, If you've never been to Montana, they call it big sky country because it has a very large sky to it and beautiful, beautiful Rocky Mountains. And I'd never spent a lot of time hiking in Montana. And so I I wanted to do so. I'd scoped out some trails that I was going to... uh, uh, to, to, to hike. And I had a friend from our partnership uh, of church planting there who sent me one of these books, you know, you, like the guide books where you can read about the trails and how to best prepare. And, and in the book, she, she marked out like six different trails that are her favorites. Like one of them she put on there, you know, a post-it note that said, hey, if you go on this hike, you're probably going to get hailed on. So you definitely want like a rain jacket. And, and this, the next one was like, hey, this will be the prettiest hike that you take, but it is grizzly country. But what do you mean by that? I mean, you just said it like, oh, it's no big deal, right? I mean, I've hiked a ton. It's one of my favorite pastimes. Uh, and, and, and black bears don't bother me. I've seen them on the trail. They don't, they don't bother me. But grizzlies eat people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's like a whole other issue here. And so I'm, all of a sudden, her little note just kind of triggered something in me. So months before I'm going, I'm reading stuff on how do you address grizzly bears if you see them in the woods, you know, and, and, and I, get, uh, I get my uh, grizzly bear greeting strategy number one, and I carry it with me, and then I also have bear spray with me. Um, I'll let you figure out the grizzly strategy number one uh, by reason of deduction there. But I mean, every time I started to go out on a trail, I was just amped. You know, it's like, come on, let's go. I mean, I'm ready to go, man. I'm, I'm ready. And I don't get that. I mean, normally, I kind of go, oh my goodness, here we go. What have I thought? You know, when I get to the trailhead, I'm a little, but not on these hikes. I mean, I was just like, there was a, a tension in me, a drive. I was ready to go, you know. And, and, and it, I, I realized not too long in, even getting to the trailhead, I'd be short of breath. Usually, I'm a half mile in before I'm short of breath, you know. And, and I realized it's because I've been reading all of this stuff on grizzly bears and I'm thinking like I'm about to have a grizzly Adams moment, you know, or a, a Legends of the Fall moment, ah, you know, and then attack this grizzly bear right here. It's the way Lane's going, you know. And I was just so amped that it was, uh, it was causing me to be really tense when I got to the, to the trailhead. Not to mention the first trail we went on, we're three-fourths of a mile in, and there is this moose carcass laying next to the trail. There's only one thing I'm aware of in the woods that eat moose. Grizzly bear. Grizzly bear, right? So, but fear affects everyone differently. So Kristen and I went on this trail one day, and, 
And, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of amped. I mean, I'm still, I haven't managed it well. And, and so we, we get about a quarter of a mile onto the trail or so. And, and I look at her and I said, here, you're going to need to hold this. And I hand her a can of, bear, can of bear spray. I wanted her to be prepared as well, right? And she went, what is this? I said, it's bear spray. And I said, and while we walk, we need to talk loudly to each other so that, you know, if there's any bears out here, they'll hear us and run away. And she went, bears? I'm not doing this. <laughs> and I said, it'll be fine. We won't see any. So we walk about another quarter mile and she finally stopped and said, I'm not doing this. So we got a good one mile hike in, half mile in and half mile out. And uh, incidentally, a week later, we took that same trail and about a mile and a half in, a black bear stepped out in front of us about 60 yards down. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'm glad she didn't take this hike. It affects us differently. Several years ago, I climbed up on the roof of our house. You know, uh, the front of the house is about eight feet high. I took an eight-foot ladder. I put it up there. No big deal. Climbed right up the ladder. That didn't bother me. Climbed onto the roof, and I crawled to the top. And the instant I got there at the peak of the roof, I froze. And when I say I froze, I don't mean I froze. I mean I froze. I didn't move. And, and I, I managed to roll over carefully. And I mean, I'm spread out like this. And all I can think of is, oh no. I don't know how I'm getting down. Why did I get up here? And then I began to think of ways that I could get help. And I thought, if I bang my foot on the roof enough, Kristen will hear that and she will come out to help. Or if I yell loud enough, and I thought, no, that'd be crazy. The neighbors would be like, what is he yelling at? But then I even thought, if Kristen comes out here, what's she going to do? I mean, if she's going to come up and haul me down? I don't think so. This is no joke, friends. 20 minutes later, 20 minutes later, I managed to scoot back down the roof of the house a full six or eight feet to the ladder. You know, I'm not far from the ladder and it's all I can do to get on the ladder and get down. And I got down, I put that ladder away and I committed to this. I will never get on the roof of another house again. Sometimes fear drives you and sometimes it paralyzes you. Have you thought much about how it affects you? In your life, we're going to talk about that today. Let's go to the text first and let me read. I want to begin reading in um, uh, verse 22 and I'm going to read through verse 33 of Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. So they've just fed the 5,000 plus, and immediately Jesus puts his disciples into a boat, and he sends them away while he takes care to stay behind and dismiss the crowd. You see, likely every time he performed a miracle, the people were wanting to make him a political ruler, a king. That's what they were wanting to do to him. And Jesus is avoiding this here. He doesn't want to get entangled in those affairs because that's not why he came. And so he's protecting the disciples from getting wrapped up in this whole idea of taking over politically as a king in that day and time. So he dismisses the crowd and he goes up on the mountain to pray. If you'll remember, that's where he was headed when the crowd met him at the shore and interrupted his day. And they went throughout the whole day and now it's at the end of the day. It's late and Jesus is even more weary than he was when he first got in the boat to leave initially. But for Jesus, prayer and communion with the Father was always beneficial and a priority for him, even more than sleep. And so while Jesus prayed through the night, his disciples were still in that boat, struggling against the sea. And what should have been a short boat ride, telling us that just crossing over should have been probably around 600 feet is what they would put in our terms of measurement, not even enough to be measured in miles. But it turned into a whole night lost at sea because of the winds. And the Bible tells us that sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., finally Jesus comes to them. And I love how Matthew presents Jesus going to them. And so Jesus went to them. He was walking on the water. I mean, there's just like this kind of afterthought about it. It's almost as if it's just a minor detail, but I'll throw it in there. Hey, did you hear about John? He got a new car. It's blue. Jesus went to his disciples. He was walking on the water. You know, I mean, it's almost a a minor detail of what's taking place here. You know, maybe after Jesus has performed several miracles, we shouldn't be as shocked at those miracles as we always seem to be. But I just want to reiterate one little thing about this. Friends, he was walking on the water. That's not insignificant, right? Have you tried to do that? He's not just Lord of healing bodies. He's not just Lord of multiplying food. (coughs) He is Lord of all natural law. (laughs) He walks on the water and it obeys him. The disciples, they've been in the boat all night and tells us they've been blown off course by high winds. And a trip that should have only been a few hundred feet had turned into three to four miles and lasted all night long. They were exhausted from adrenaline overload and their nerves were frazzled. And the disciples were terrified now thinking it was a ghost because here's somebody walking on the water towards them. Not a sight you see every day. Yea, never. And Matthew notes that their reaction is fueled completely by fear. They react in fear in what their initial thought is. They respond out of great fear and all of this, but fueled by great fear, Jesus says to them, 
Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So Jesus comes to them and he calms their fear and he instructs them to take courage. In other words, to take what he is offering in his coming, take courage. And he does something very interesting. He uses the name of the covenant God of Yahweh throughout the Old Testament. Now, you have to understand how they would have understood and perceived what he's doing. And Matthew, who writes to a predominantly Jewish audience, would have understood this as well. Jesus called himself Yahweh? I mean, they so hallowed the name of God, Yahweh, that most Jews never even dared to try to pronounce it for fear that they would profane the name of God by the mispronunciation of it. That's how they regarded him. So when Jesus spoke the name, I am to them, which is also given to us in Exodus 3 when when. When Moses is offering his excuses to God, and he goes, God, when I go to Pharaoh, who should I tell him has sent me? He's not going to be impressed with me. And God says, tell him I am that I am. That's the covenant name for God. That's the name Jesus used with the disciples here when he said, take heart, do not fear. The most familiar announcement of God's appearance followed, do not fear So here we find the disciples exhausted from battling a storm, fear-struck from seeing a ghost. Jesus comes to them and calms them by speaking the peace of his presence to them. Well, as I open today, fear affects us all in different ways, doesn't it? And sometimes it takes us a while to even recognize how it's affecting us. I mean, sometimes fear, or some people are affected by fear and they just get dead silent, don't say a word. Other people will not shut up. Like, like they get afraid, they will not stop talking. Have you ever sat next to that person on an airplane in turbulence? Like they can spread fear faster than anything. And you just like, would you just be quiet, please? And so Peter answers. We have both of these on the boat here. Most of the disciples aren't saying a word that's recorded. But Peter, he's got something to say. What does he say? Well, sometimes when you say, or what you say rather, because of fear only really proves you really are crazy. And so he says to Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. <laughs> and all the others are like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Peter, you're an idiot. You know, I mean, can you not just take one instant to be quiet? And Jesus says, what does Jesus say? I love this response here, friends, because as Matthew has described, all the turmoil and the tension that's just blowing out of the boat because of the disciples, Jesus has this one word invitation to Peter's, come, come. Now stop for a moment before we consider what Matthew records next. This passage is known as Jesus walking on the water. But think about all that occurs here. Think about what's about to take place here. Because the next thing that Matthew records is that Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. That's a phrase that should strike us as much as the phrase he went to them walking on the water. Okay, Jesus performs a miracle. Now Peter is in the middle of that miracle walking on the water, going to Jesus. Friends, here's what I want you to see by this. Jesus is not performing miracles to impress the disciples. 
He's not just going, hey, let's have some fun, you know, let's, let's make the stars, you know, flip them upside down or make the water where the sky ought to be and all those kinds of things. No, he's demonstrating his power so that they will know who he is and believe. That, that's why Jesus is performing these miracles. Friends, I want to say this to you. So often I, I've heard countless sermons on this and even read a great book that I really enjoyed but it said things like this if you want to walk on water you got to get out of the boat you got to have more faith right you got to be the one to step over but I propose this to you if we're going to focus this passage the way Matthew presents it to us the reality is this you didn't have to get out of the boat to believe it was Jesus they were already in enough trouble in the boat to fully need Jesus And surely Peter's request to get out of the boat, uh, Matthew is positioning him as a leader among the disciples for a specific purpose. But my point is this, Peter's faith and the greatness of it is not what got him out of the boat. It's probably more his personality and his act and then I think that actually got him out of the boat. The way that we know what Jesus was most concerned with once Peter got distracted and goes under, tells us. Because it tells us that he walked on the water and then it says, but then he saw the wind and he began to sink. And immediately Jesus saves him, takes hold of him, and he says to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now that one's specifically to Peter, not to the whole. But I don't want you to miss this either. All of this is happening through verse 31. They are still standing on the water. The wind is still blowing. The waves are still crashing. And Jesus is unbothered by it. He's not hindered by what he's doing in the midst of this. The the winds are still raging. And then we read this. After that is when they got into the boat and the winds ceased. And the winds ceased. And it tells us that at that moment the disciples responded by worshiping him. And friends, we know this, that they didn't fully understand all that it meant for Jesus to be Lord yet. As a matter of fact, in chapter 16... Jesus will instruct them, uh, uh, warn yourself and guard yourself against the leaven of the Pharisees, you know. And they go, oh, bread, I'm hungry. Yeah, but we don't have any. You know, they all of a sudden get worried again because they don't have enough food. Really? I mean, two chapters earlier, he feeds thousands of people and you're worried now about, he wasn't even talking about bread when he said, guard yourself against the leaven of the Pharisees. He's talking about unbelief. The same thing he's talking about here. We see that the disciples had not fully formed their understanding and and, and their faith in Jesus. And they're still learning uh, uh, what it means for him to be Lord. And, And Matthew is giving us insight for these men who would become the leaders of the church age and and through whom the Holy Spirit would inspire them to write Holy Scripture. And they would be the ones after Jesus' ascension to preach the gospel and to see the church launched in this time. But here, here we see men who are riddled by fear, who are absent of faith, whose doubt is destroying their life in very real ways. 
And Jesus comes to him. He's neither threatened nor restrained by the storms. He just shows up in the chaos. Why? So that those he is with will know who he is. So that they will stay focused on him, confess him as Lord, and worship him for the same. Friends, you've got to get your eyes off the storm if you're ever going to get to worship Jesus. There's no question about this. You know, we're so prone to think one miracle, that's all it would take for me to believe. I mean, if I just saw Jesus do one miracle, I'd be sold. I'm done. It's settled for me. But let me tell you something. I propose to us today that if we were among the disciples, we would have been in the same boat they were in. You see what I did there? We too are prone to forget when we are caught in a moment that triggers our fear. It's like all we can get uh, focused on is the wind and the waves. Because when fear distracts, it proves that we're still living by sight, not by faith. We, We demand Jesus provide one more miracle to prove who he is. It's a very dangerous place for us to be, friends. Matthew shows us how Jesus revealed himself so that we can track the disciples' progress of understanding and ultimately faith and growth in his lordship so that we too can understand what's taking place in our own lives and we can see that when struck with fear, when overwhelmed by these things, that we've got to stay focused on Jesus because only he will give us faith that overcomes fear. They still believe because they can see And here's the danger of that. So often in Christianity, we make it very popular to look to Jesus for just one more miracle. We're like junkies sometimes. We're just going from one miracle to the next. It's interesting, one of the books I read this summer said, you know, there's a lot of people that want God's power on them, but few really intercede for God's power in them. We, We can get so inebriated by the hype of of what we think God can do, but we're really not interested in God changing us deeply within into his likeness. And every time we come to something in life and we need one more miracle for us to prove that he's God so we'll worship him as Lord. Listen, friends, it's not wrong. As a matter of fact, it's obedient for us to cast our cares upon him and to know who he is and to pray for what he can do. But our lives are to be lived in such that we surrender and submit to his will. God, you do what you want to do in me, not what I'm asking. And if what I'm asking is not in alignment with your will, forgive me and lead me. Jesus was not afraid of their fear. Jesus was not afraid of Peter's questions. He was not even afraid of their doubts. But the reason that he came to them, the reason he demonstrated his power was to put to rest the questions and the doubts that continued to lead their lives astray and to invite them to come to him and to know him in a new way. Jesus is teaching us to trust him because of who he is, because of what we know about him, because of what he has done. And this is an essential lesson for each of us as Christ followers today. 
He reveals himself as Lord so that we can trust in him and we can live by faith. We can walk daily by faith. We don't need another miracle just to prove that he's God. Here's what I want you to see today. Jesus is Lord who conquers fear when we put our faith in him and focus on his word. He is Lord who conquers fear when we put our faith in him and focus on his word. Listen to me, friends. It's not wrong for us to pray what we know God is capable of. I, I want you to understand this. But it is wrong when we make our request in such a way that come from a spirit more of doubt than of faith. You say, well, how do we know the difference? I think the spirit teaches us that difference. Especially if we have to learn the same lessons over and over and over again. And that's what I'm praying we'll learn today. As Jesus reveals himself as Lord. Lord of all of life. Lord of all creation. That we might trust in him and live by faith. That he might conquer our fear and command our faith. I want you to see three lessons today that he teaches us. You say, what do you mean by command our faith, pastor? Here's what I mean. You've heard me say this before, but I'll remind you again. I mean command faith because if God doesn't command something, it cannot occur. When we talk about God being sovereign, here's what we understand. That all things happen by the command of his word. These are the hard issues of life, but I'm saying this to you that we so often think of commands as only a list of to-dos that we have to go and do for God. And in fact, I'm offering you today a different understanding. When God commands our faith, he is inviting us to trust in him, to know that when we can't see the way, when we don't understand how, what, when, why, where, or otherwise, he does. And we can consume all of who we are and all of who he is for him. The first lesson I want you to see is this. Jesus is Lord. He is our source to overcome fear by faith. Friends, let me acknowledge this. The disciples' fear was real. The disciples' fear was real. I mean, these are men who were experienced in boating. They were fishermen. And they knew how to handle a boat. And for these men to get caught up in this kind of a storm, it was a real danger, a real threat against their lives. We should not downplay that. But when Matthew describes the effect of the wind upon them, he uses a word that means tormented. And we should understand this word in Scripture. The word is used in other places in Scripture to, defi- or to describe demonic hostility, yeah? what we would call spiritual warfare. And so what Peter is saying is it wasn't just a bad storm. There was more going on under the surface in the disciples than there was on the surface. 
They had been through a prolonged struggle against the wind at sea and it was producing within them a physical exhaustion and weariness. And at that moment is always the moment of a prime opportunity for Satan's strongest attack. You see, friends, spiritual warfare seldom begins with spiritual attack. It typically finds us in a life situation that has wearied us And often has consumed us in our focus, knowing it will take the least effort to bring about the greatest destruction. When our physical strength is weak, our spiritual defenses and our spiritual discernment are lowered. And then blow the winds of discouragement. Then blow the winds of doubt. Then blow the winds of despair upon us. I think this is why social media is so dangerous for us. And listen, I'm on social media, so you know I don't think it's the grand evil of all evils. But the way we use it so often is that we use it mostly at the times that are most critical for us. Research tells us that the two times of day that social media has the highest activity are earliest in the morning when people are getting up and latest at night just before they go to bed. The two most important times for you to fill your heart and mind with the things of Jesus Christ are the first thing in the morning when your feet hit the floor and the last thing before you close your eyes to go to sleep. But what have we replaced that with? All the news that most of it isn't true that's being sourced from the world. Research shows that the highest activity is first thing in the morning. We're putting our mind on everything that the world is flooding us with instead of what God has for us. And then the day happens. And I don't know if your days are often like mine are, but I'm exhausted when I get ready to go to bed. You know, 8.30, 8.45. And so often the last thing I'll do is just flip open that social media app, mindlessly scroll, mindlessly scroll. Sometimes I think this isn't bothering me at all. And then I remember, man, makes me feel bad I should have done that I ought to be more like this I wish that I wish this you see where I'm going with this when you are physically exhausted and weakened your spiritual defenses are naturally lowered Satan knows this he capitalizes on this and friends fear strikes not only in ways beyond our ability to defend but more often it strikes at times of weakness when we're helpless to respond. The last thing the disciples had the energy to do was to fight off a ghost when they'd been fighting the winds of torment all night. But Jesus comes to us in our weakness as our source to overcome what fear produces in us. Jesus comes to the disciples to draw near, Matthew says, to source in them a faith to overcome their fear. You see, friends, when fear threatens, Jesus is always near so we can what? Take heart. That's what he tells the disciples. Take heart. Take heart. When fear attacks us, Jesus is powerful to calm the storms. Sometimes he calms them around us. But listen to me. If he doesn't calm them around us, he is still not deterred by addressing what is within us. Jesus calmed the disciples' fear 
before he calmed the wind. You see that? The fear of the disciples was taken care of before the wind ceased. They're blowing and they're tormenting. When fear confuses us, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, I'm the life. I am. He gives us truth, which is courage for our heart to clear the cloudiness and to cut through the chaos to see what he has for us. Friends, I tell you, Jesus commands the whole situation the whole time. How do I know this? I think Matthew's telling us this. Anytime you see something three times repeated in a passage of scripture, what is it telling you? That the writer is giving us emphasis on something here. What occurs three times in this passage? The word immediately. Immediately. Look at this with me. Verse 22. When Jesus acts, he acts with immediacy for his followers. When temptation arises, what temptation? The temptation for the disciples to be drawn into this whole ideology that Jesus was going to be enthroned king now. His kingdom was of this world. Jesus didn't want them to have anything to do with it. So when that temptation arises, it says immediately Jesus put them into the boat and he got them out of there. He didn't want them hearing it. He didn't want them being exposed to it. He was trying to secure and safeguard them from that. When temptation arises, Jesus provides a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10 13 says no temptation except what is common to man has seized you and God is faithful he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will always provide a way out so that you can run into him as your refuge When fear consumes, verse 27, what happens immediately? He said, fear not. Fear not. It is the announcement of his presence. When God comes to people in this world, when the angels are sent from God, fear not is the first message that they always bring. And when faith falters, verse 31, when Peter looked away at the storm and began to sink, what did Jesus do? He reached down and grabbed him. Do you know how miraculous it is for Jesus to pull a grown man out of the sea by just standing on the water? You're going to lift something. You, you don't get in a deep pool to go lift heavy objects. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you need something firm underneath your feet to pull it up. As a matter of fact, if you go through lifeguard training, one of the first things they'll teach you is you're most likely to be drowned by the person you're trying to save because fear has overruled them. Do what you have to do to subdue them so that you can help them. Jesus, uh, immediately, he just grabbed him, picked him right up. When faith falters, Jesus says, don't doubt, don't doubt. I got you, I've got you. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5 reminds us. He confronts our fear with his presence and he invites our faith to source, listen to me, his strength within us. Friends, Jesus didn't come to just make you a stronger you. Jesus is working in your life for there to be less of you and more of him. It's not about you getting stronger so you can do more for him. It's about you surrendering completely so he can do more in you. 
We all love the power of God on our life to see it all around us, but few of us want to fully surrender to the power of God in our life, that we would be crucified with Christ, therefore we no longer live, but he would live in us. And the life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us, who died for us. That's why Jesus came, friends. Only Jesus overcomes fear when by faith you trust him as your source. The second lesson we learn is that Jesus commands faith to obey by an undivided focus on his word. Jesus commands faith to obey by an undivided focus on his word. He says to Peter, come, come. Now, now let me just say this. The biggest thing Peter could possibly imagine at that moment, I mean, he couldn't fathom that this would actually happen, but the biggest thing he could possibly imagine is that he would get to walk on the water, that Jesus would actually say yes. But listen, friends, Peter's wildest imagination did not intimidate Jesus. You know why? Because the Bible says Jesus is the one who does far more than we could possibly ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within him. Ephesians chapter 2 or 3. Jesus' command is not simply an order to obey. It is an invitation to trust. Jesus wasn't wanting Peter to get out of the boat so that he could help him walk on the water. He wasn't worried about the water. Jesus wanted Peter to get out of the boat because he was willing to overcome any barrier in order to bring him close and near. You see, friends, obedience is not about accomplishing something for God, but trusting him to obey, to be brought close with God and to be made like God. God. Peter lost focus on Jesus because it says he looked and he saw the wind and he was reminded, but Jesus picked him up. Friends, Jesus is not even afraid of your failures in order to teach you his sufficiency. How often do we feel like we are scum of the earth when we see our failures? But I'm telling you, Jesus is not afraid of them. He is sufficient and he wants you to learn that. He's not afraid of your little faith. Because he calls you to himself by replacing your doubt with faith to obey. Friends, obedience is never about accomplishment or impressing God. Do you understand that? God doesn't love you more when you obey and love you less when you don't. That's not the way God works. It's the way we work. It's not the way God works. We don't impress God in order to merit something from God. Obedience is about intimacy and knowing God so that we fully consume our life with his power that transforms into his likeness. That's what obedience is all about. And then all of this takes place while the winds are still blowing. You know, when they step back into the boat, Jesus calms the wind. And it reminds us he didn't just come to change our circumstances. He calms the real storm. The storm that rages in here, whether this needs to be calmed or not. Jesus didn't calm the storm outside because that wasn't the disciples' problem. He knew where they were. He knew what was going on. But he also knew they had to learn that faith that conquers fear holds an undivided focus on Jesus by his word. Doubt was the disciples' problem that caused their fear to swell. Peter's doubt was caused by trying to go after Jesus and get away from the storm. 
You say, well, at least he was going after Jesus. He was, but he was going after Jesus in what we would call his own strength because he was also trying to avoid the storm. You see that? Instead of just staying focused on Jesus, which he actually walked on the water when he did, he got distracted by the storm. So he's trying to run from one while he runs to the other. And this is that division that doubt creates. He's divided. James tells us in chapter 1, That doubt makes you double-minded. And double-mindedness makes you unstable, not just in the way that you are trying to walk in that instance, but doubt makes you double-mindedness and unstable in all ways. All ways, about everything. You see, when you're focused on Jesus just enough for the situation or the circumstance, but you're also trying to deal with everything else going on, there's no area of life where you're standing firm with him. When you refuse to focus solely on Jesus, you're not putting your faith in him because you're allowing all things of the world to distract you. You may be asking God for a miracle in this situation, but you're not even addressing other areas of your life that you know God wants to deal with. You're moving from one miracle to the next, from one fix to the next. Trying to run after Jesus plus everything else will always be a sinking proposition for your life. Faith means you destroy doubt by a fully consumed focus on Jesus. And so I ask you this morning, is there any area of your life, any area of your life where you're still distracted by the storm? The wind, the wave, the wetness, whatever it is. And go, I'm trying to follow the Lord Stop trying to follow him and just submit to him. And you will find his invitation to come. And if it is his will for you, you will walk on water. There will be nothing that stops you from coming to the Lord. Jesus commands a faith to obey by an undivided focus on his word. The third lesson, and I'll be brief. Verse 33, when Jesus consumed their presence, the hostility of fear ceased and the worship started to rise. Surely the disciples did not yet fully know all that it meant for Jesus to be Lord, but in that moment they knew he was Lord and they worshiped him as such. You see, friends, the more you learn and know who Jesus is, the more you worship him as Lord. And the more you worship him as Lord, the more completely he fills your life with his presence and his power. And the more his power pervades your whole life, more deeply within you, the more you become like him. And that's the point of Matthew's account. Jesus doesn't want to do a great work in your life today to impress you or to make you greater. Jesus wants to do a great work in your life today so that you will trust him And become more like him. Will you? Faith in Jesus as Lord produces a worship of him. In all of life. With one's whole life. Will you trust him? Not just with what you've taken to him. But with what you've tried to manage yourself. 